Hey, Fellowship family, uh, we're going to be continuing in week two here of uh, the expected one, where we look at the Old Testament prophecies that predicted the coming of Jesus to this world. And this prophecy, many of them were 700 years before Christ was born, and they were very specific. So we want to look at those prophecies today, which will be in the book of Micah. If you have your Bibles, open up to Micah chapter 5, and we'll read about this place called Bethlehem. Before I do, though, I want to just kind of connect with a feeling that I think was very predominant during the time where Christ came to this world as it is today. And that's that feeling of being sidelined. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like God's not using me like he used to? I'm not doing the things I used to do for him. I don't have the opportunities that were once part of my, the center of my ministry or the center of my purpose as a person. And now I'm kind of just on the sidelines. I'm kind of wondering what God is doing and questioning what meaning or purpose that I have. Well, that, that's, a, that's a predominant picture of, uh, and, and it's a very normal picture of a perspective of life right now, especially with all the shutdowns, all the restrictions, all the things that are out there in the world. And you can react in, in many ways to this, to this feeling of being sidelined. You can fight to get back to normal. And I mean, no holes barred, just let it out with anger, bitterness, ranting, all that kind of stuff. Or you can just kind of be isolated in your home, not wanting to connect with anyone and feeling very, very alone. Well, the Word of God is going to teach us today. It's going to teach us a principle about who God is, how He works, and how He uses us. And it's one that I think is a really important message for a time like this for us to grab a hold of. And uh, as, as before we go to Micah, I just want to point your attention to what Paul writes to the church in Corinth, a church very similar to ours. In, Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he asks them to remember their calling, who they were when Christ called them out of darkness into light. And it shows us who God is and how he works. Look at this with me. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what, it was, what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. I want to just highlight a few, few of the verses here that Paul talks about to kind of just emphasize how God works because of who he is. And, and the first one is this. He says, he says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way, that you don't know what to do, especially in a crisis, and you, don't want, you wonder if you have what it takes to, to make a good decision. Uh, but look what God does. Look what God does. It says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. See, God chose, even that, 
that feeling of being sidelined, and he put it right in the center of his plan. And then the second one is says, not many of you were powerful. Have you ever felt like that? Like you don't, uh, you, you aren't capable of something or you don't have what it takes. Uh, all those things on power, look what God does. He says, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. It's in weakness that the power of God is made perfect, Right? And so then, then he says this, that not many of you were noble of noble birth. I mean, I just think about some of our stories that some of us have from our families. And, and, and some of them could be reality television shows where the truth is stranger than fiction. No one could write this stuff. But God is working and he chose that brokenness. Look what it says. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. And ultimately what he's saying is this is all about transformed lives, leaving a godly legacy. It's all through the power of God so that whatever happens in our lives is not because of what we've done or who we are or how much we have. It's all because of who God is and how he works in us. So there's, there's a principle that comes from this. And here's the principle. You're never on the sidelines when you're in the center of God's will. You're never sidelined when you're following Jesus. You're always right in the center of his, lo- th- his will. Now, whenever I talk about God's will, I get the question, well, what is God's will for me? And, and I, I do the, the general, but it moves right into the specific. Does your life look like Jesus? If you want a passage on it, take a look at Romans chapter 8. Just read that, that, uh, that chapter, and you get a picture that ultimately we're going to be, through the power of God, conformed to the image of Christ, that that we would look more and more like Jesus. So if your life looks more like Jesus, you're in the center of God's will. And so as we do that, let's go to this place called Bethlehem and think of how God used this sidelined city to put in the center of his will. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Beth, house, and lechem, uh, bread, or provision. And if you think about even on the Christmas story, what that name actually means is that In this house of bread, God brought the bread of life into this world to provide salvation for our souls. In Micah chapter 5, it talks about this prophecy written 700 years before the time of Christ. And it says this about Bethlehem. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Okay, so what God is saying is this sideline little city, out of there would come a great and powerful ruler that would ultimately bring the kingdom of God. And, and it was one who would reign in this city and would come forth from this city who would bring peace on earth. All right, we're going to go and, and take a quick trip to Bethlehem. And I'm going to do this through the miracle of the green screen. And I took a bunch of pictures when I've traveled there throughout the years. And I want to share this place and how God used people who were sidelined 
to be right in the center of his will. Let's take a look at this first picture and I'll show you. So the first place I want to take you to is a city called Tekoa. And this is the city from the Old Testament prophet Amos, and it's within the region of Bethlehem. Uh, I'm looking at this, and, and the reason I am showing you this, this city is this was about the size of Bethlehem when Christ was born. Right now, it's much larger than this, and I just wanted you to kind of have perspective. Most cities were built on hills, and so Bethlehem was probably about this size when Christ was born. But one of the key places in Bethlehem to visit is the Church of the Nativity. And uh, it's this structure. It looks, it's very old. It's actually the oldest church uh, ever uh, built and in which we are still going to worship. And uh, it was built around the fourth century by uh, Constantine. It was the first church with a building. And so they celebrate the, the birth of Christ in this place. When you enter this church, it's classic because this is the door to it. It's so small. It's called the door of humiliation, which you literally have to like, like dip down to walk through that door and step down to go into the church. And then you'll continue down different stairs in that church until you reach a place like this. And this is usually some uh, um, uh, cave-like structures that uh, are around the, the uh, base of, of uh, where uh, they believe Christ was born, the base level of where Christ was born. And so people have been worshiping here. It's the oldest church, but it's the one to commemorate the birth of Christ. I like this church, but frankly, I love the region of Bethlehem. And uh, one of the things I love to do is just pull the bus over and look and tell the story of Bethlehem. And so that's what I want to kind of do now. And in your notes, if you want to download them, you can take a look at this whole picture of uh, the, the places that I've listed that if you're doing the Bible reading through this time, you've already read this week. But in Genesis chapter 35, uh, Rachel dies while giving birth to Benjamin uh, in this area. And she was taken and buried uh, in a cave or a tomb that, that Jacob had built for her. Um, and therefore, she was, there was weeping for Rachel in this area. Uh, later on in Jeremiah, Jeremiah talks about how Rachel is weeping for her children. And it became known, that statement became known around Bethlehem. Uh, whenever they talked about the mistreatment of children, they said Rachel is weeping because her second child died, but then she died quickly after that. And there was weeping. And then after Herod killed all the male boys under the age of two in that area, there was weeping. Rachel was weeping for his, her children. And, and then we move not just from Rachel, we, we go to the book of Ruth. And uh, Ruth uh, showed up in Bethlehem, the house of bread, under a famine. And her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her return to Bethlehem. Ruth was a Moabite woman. So she was from, again, the sidelines of, of Israel. And she was brought right into the center uh, in Bethlehem. Because in Bethlehem, she met Boaz, who she was kind of gleaning the crops out of the field. According to Old Testament law, if you were poor, after they harvested a field, you could go in and pick up the grain that had dropped, or in this case, the barley that had dropped, and you could keep it. And if you owned that field, you were not to pick up that which you dropped, because that was how God provided 
Interesting, isn't it? House of bread, God's provision. He would provide for the poor. So Boaz was doing that and he took note of Ruth and it actually, her kindness attracted him to her. They got married and then Ruth has, and Boaz have Obed and Obed, their son, has Jesse and Jesse is the father of David. Do you see how that works? So God used this sidelined woman right into the history of his, the center of Israel in the, in the bringing forth of David. And, and right in this area also is this area like this. And you can just kind of picture David tending his flocks as a shepherd in Bethlehem. This rock here, I could almost imagine him, you know, like uh, uh, sitting on it, playing his harp and, and writing songs of which we get most of them. The Psalms right now are the handiwork of David writing a psalm like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This became our praise music. Uh, but it happened to the side of this little known city called Bethlehem. But David also became this great and mighty king. This city, its name was changed from Bethlehem to the city of David. And then if we just pull back and go forward a few hundred years, you'll find the fields around Bethlehem. The fields that once Jesus was born and the baby was laid in a manger, there were shepherds out in this field keeping their walk, watch over their flocks by night. And suddenly angels appeared and the glory of the Lord shone all about them. And they were so afraid. And the angel says, fear not. For I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a food trough or a manger. And that's what they did. They ran to this place and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. And when they saw him, they worshiped and they told everyone around him, around this region, what God had done. What a great place, but it just shows you amidst a Roman empire, amidst the power structures of the world in this off-center sideline city, God used each of these people to be part of the center of his will. Let's go back and again, make some closing thoughts. We're shown then that, that no matter we're shown that no matter how we feel or where we think we are, if our lives are, are centered on reflecting the beauty and the glory of Jesus, we're in the center of God's will. And so the, the story of Bethlehem is, is that you don't have to have all this knowledge to be a follower of Christ or to do great things for the Lord. You don't have to be this powerful person with a position of influence and affluence before God can use you. And you, you don't have to come from a background or from a place or a family or a homeland that, that makes you powerful or gives you privileges. You simply have to live and follow Jesus because to be in the center of God's will means that your life looks like Jesus. Okay. What does this mean for us? We've seen this story. We've grabbed this principle in our minds. And, and now I just want to challenge you with three things that are evident in anyone's life who is living in the center of God's will. 
And uh, there are three A's because I'm a pastor and I'm, I like to have things that are easy to remember, especially me as I'm preaching. I can remember that. The first one is this. Uh, those who choose to live in the center of God's will are, are aware in distraction. Think about all the things that are distracting to us and all the things that distract us away from um, celebrating Jesus or being a family today or being more loving or patient. Um, the, the people who live in the center of God's will are people who are aware that God is with them. They're aware of God's word and so they know it and they're growing in it and they're leaning in even when they don't necessarily feel like it. They're leaning in because they're opening up their hearts and they're aware that God works through his word. And, and think about that in, in a time of so many different distractions, so many different things to try to fight to go back to normal. God is saying, are you aware that I'm with you and that I can use you today? I, it doesn't have to be like it was in the past. Think of all the people who had all the distractions around Bethlehem who were right in the center of God's will when they were aware that God was going to use them. Someone living in the center of God's will is aware. They're aware of God. They're aware of their, the calling he has on our lives. And they're aware of the opportunity, which leads me to my second point. They're not just aware, they're available. They're available in displacement. And again, you think about Mary and Joseph, just displaced, displaced out of Nazareth, displaced in a crowded Bethlehem that had no room for them to stay. And so off to the sidelines they go uh, to a place where ultimately animals were kept and she laid baby Jesus in a manger, which was a food trough, um, displaced out of perhaps what they would have uh, expected, but right in the center of God's will. Because it was in that place that God, the angels told the shepherds to find this baby laying in a manger, right in the center of God's will. You know, there's so many times that I hear from people, I'm not where I thought I'd be in life. I'm not where I thought I'd be when I thought of 2020, and I think we're all in that boat. I'm not where I'd like to be even. And ultimately, the gospel call for all of us is wherever you are, whoever you are, in whatever circumstance you're in, you give the opportunity for God to shine the light of his glory in the, in the, in the, in the goodness of Jesus in all that we do. Whatever place you're willing to reflect Jesus is the center of God's will for you. Remember that. You're never on the sidelines when you're in the center of God's will. And then finally, uh, those who live this, in the center of God's will are active in disruption. Think about all the disruption in all those stories that I shared with you. Ruth loses her husband. Naomi loses her husband. They go back in mourning back to Bethlehem under a drought, under a major famine, and, and they're active. She does the next thing that's the best thing because she made the statement to Naomi, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She was actively endearing herself and enduring with Naomi as they went there. You see David. David was active in, in uh, serving no matter what as a simple shepherd boy. And that was the heart that God cultivated. That is the worship in that environment. Think about that. He actively wrote down his journal which became the, the, the hymn book for Israel and all their worship, in which today we read. 
and we find reality of who God is and what's happening in the world, uh, the, the brokenness of humanity and the faithfulness of God. Right in the midst of that, he didn't go passive. He kept worshiping. And I think this is so important for us. We as a church are not sidelined. We are right in the center of God's will when we continue to preach the gospel, call people to follow him, and reach in our community with the good news and the good works of Jesus Christ. We're called to be active, and that's one of the things God has challenged me as a pastor, is what can we do that we've never done in a time like this to make Jesus greater in Topeka? And he's just given us opportunity after opportunity. And, and, and as a result of that, we feel and we see that God is using us for his glory no matter what. And so this time then of great disruption actually becomes a time of great clarity when God shows us his will, when we reflect Jesus to everyone around us. I, I don't know where you're at, but I, can, I, I bet you I know at one point over the course of the last nine months, you have felt sidelined by the situation that you're in. I want to invite you to come back to the expected one, Jesus. And, and whatever that's going to look like in whatever environment you're in right now, I want you just to make the decision today, this week, Christmas will not be about me. It'll be about Jesus. And it's about me making him known and reflecting his goodness and his grace and his kindness and his truth to everyone that I come across. And I make him greater on earth as he is in heaven. Let me pray for you as you respond in faith to this word. Heavenly Father, thank you for our church family and thank you for what you're doing in us. I know, Lord, it's just so normal for us to feel sidelined and that we're not as effective or significant as we once thought we were. But thank you for your word. Thank you for even this story of how you use this place called Bethlehem, this small off-to-the-side place that you had in the center of your will. May we, may we be people who ignore the sidelines and just to put you at our, the center of our lives and live for you to make Jesus greater through all things. We trust you. We seek you today, and we ask for your spirit to be reflected through all things in our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray, and for his glory that we live. Amen.